happy Friday. Oh my God, it's Friday. It's so weird because I typically don't do episodes on a Friday, but this is a special week. I mean, number one, it's spooky season. So everything I do is special. This is my favorite time of year. I'm either going to make you guys love it or make you guys despise it. But either way, I win and I'm looking forward to continuing to do this awesome content with you. If you haven't been listening to the last few episodes, this is an unusual one for the month. Not an unusual one for me for the life of an average Joe, uh, but unusual for the month because all of my content so far has been spooky, right? Spooky related anyway. And this episode is more like one of my usual shows and there's a reason for it. But before I get into that, before I get into the Oh, the meat of this episode. I want to say thank you to everybody that has supported this show over the last couple of years, that continues to interact on all the social media platforms, the new followers, the new listeners that have jumped over from TikTok and are now going back and listening to episodes. And it's interesting because I can tell you guys are doing that because I see my numbers go up and then I see the emails or I see a comment on TikTok or a message. I have met so many great people on TikTok, which is funny because it's an app that I used to make fun of uh, back in the day. And, and quite honestly, I had every right to, but now, I mean, it's, it's definitely an app that I use the most. I mean, I use Instagram and, you know, Twitter, X, whatever. But I would say for the most part, it's TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, X, and, and even then, you know, even though I don't like Zuckerberg, I mean, I, I, I still use Facebook, but the amount of people that I've connected with in the podcasts and the shows and the content creators that I have connected with on TikTok, and honestly, the amount I've learned from people that some have been doing it longer than I have. Others have been doing it shorter, you know, time frame. But you can always learn. And that's that's what I've been doing. It's been great. And I've been seeing a lot of you guys on there. I got a lot of emails. So when this season's over, we're going we're gonna to talk about a lot. And I got a lot of emails last week uh, talking about my Waverly Hill sanitarium experience. Some of you sanatorium, sanitarium, whatever. Uh, I just think of a Metallica song every time I say that word. And I'm losing my voice, so there you go. It's been a while since I've said that. Um, A lot of it, a lot of emails about that, asking for more stories behind that and more details. And I actually got an email from somebody who was there. So I'm really looking forward to sharing those with you. So I highly recommend listening to that episode. It was a really, truly awesome experience. This week's episode is different. This week, we're going back to my roots going back to my nerdisms. And actually, originally, I was supposed to have a special guest on. I was supposed to have Nick Luck from the AOK podcast, but we just couldn't align it up. We just couldn't, it couldn't happen. Um, and really, I was supposed to have another guest, Jacob, on, but we haven't been able to do it. Jacob is a guy that I know, a friend of mine, works at Hoppensting Brewery. I don't know if he wanted me to say that, but I did, and I don't care. Um, I was going to have him on, but it didn't happen. He will be on, though. Don't worry. But we're talking about Star Wars. 
and we are going to dive into Ahsoka. So before I get in to the Ahsoka deep dive and predictions, and I'm going to tell you right now, this episode is going to have a lot of spoilers. Let me repeat that for those in the back. This episode is going to have a lot of spoilers. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want to hear, oh, Brandon, I was listening to your Ahsoka episode and I didn't watch the last two episodes yet. I don't want to hear it. You've had ample amount of time to go listen to another episode. You've had ample amount of time to finish the Ahsoka series. I don't want to hear it. We are going to talk about it. We're going to talk about spoilers. We're going to talk about some of the Easter eggs in there, things you might have missed. We're going to deep dive into some of the theories, some of my theories. And we're going to talk about really where Star Wars is right now, where it could go and where I think it's going. First and foremost, let's go way back to when Disney bought Star Wars. And they made that massive announcement of the new trilogy. We were all excited about that. Now, we know the outcome of that trilogy. Now, since then, I think that they have rectified themselves. I really do. I think for the most part, out of all the entities that Disney owns, I think they kind of pulled things back, and I think they've done a good job. And I say this, and some of you might disagree, and that's okay, but I say this because if you take the trilogy, the, the sequels, out of the mix, and I'm not going to dive into what I like about the sequels, what I don't like, what's wrong, but I'm not. Just take it out of the mix, and let's agree that they were not that great. Visually, yes, but they weren't that great. And you look at the Solo movie. Now, the Solo movie had a lot of heat going into the process because those movies were not getting well-received, the sequels, and then Solo movie kind of got lumped into that. There was a director issue. Ron Howard came in, did the best he could. Let's take that away. It's still a decent film. It's got some good substance to it. And quite frankly, I felt like after it kind of marinated for a while, I felt like it, it was better than I thought, even better than when I first saw it. And I enjoyed it when I first saw it. But you start looking at the shows. You saw what Dave Filoni did as he gave us the ending to Clone Wars, the animated series. Because if you remember watching Clone Wars and watching the way it ended, it was such a weak ending. But he gave us a phenomenal ending. Not just one or two episodes. He gave us so many great stories, some closure. He gave us the true emotion. He gave Ahsoka an even better story than she already had in Clone Wars. And she had an amazing story. She gave Anakin more. She gave Darth Maul, he gave Darth Maul, probably one of the greatest story arcs in Star Wars history. And I believe that and I will say it till I'm blue in the face. And there are fans out there and I'm talking Star Wars fans that have watched every movie, that have read the books, that have read comic books, that haven't watched Clone Wars 
and won't watch Clone Wars, even though they consider themselves fans. And they have no idea about Darth Maul. And what a phenomenal story and how poetic it was. Dave Filoni gave that to us. You saw what he's done with the Bad Batch. Now, say what you will about the Bad Batch. It's got some phenomenal moments. This last season dragged, I admit, but he gave us more. Look at the Mandalorian. Obi-Wan. Now, I know you can sit there and say, but Filoni didn't have anything to do with Obi-Wan. Let me make something clear, clear to you. Filoni has something to do with everything. Just because he didn't fully take the Obi-Wan show doesn't mean he didn't have something to do with it. And we can sit there and criticize parts of the Obi-Wan show all day. But overall, we got Hayden back. We got McGregor back. We got a phenomenal showdown. You can look at the Book of Boba Fett. And again, you can criticize it. But it was a good show. Filoni was behind that. Filoni has sat there and been the apprentice and worked long enough with George Lucas that I am fully confident to say that Filoni probably knows more about the Force than George Lucas does. I mean, if you ever sit here and listen to him, number one, he's got the most utmost respect for George Lucas and what he was trying to do and what he did. It's obvious, but when you listen to him talk about the things like the Force and the dark side and the different planets and all that, he's got a mission and he's got a goal and he knows what to do with this galaxy. That is something that, quite frankly, Disney did not know what to do when they did those movies. And now we sit here and we see the Mandalorian progress and we were reintroduced and to some of you introduced to Ahsoka Tano, Anakin Skywalker's Padawan and the Mandalorian. We were not only introduced to her live action, she was now brought into the galaxy that we were all familiar with. And not only that, but she was a key component in Rebels and a key component, obviously, in Clone Wars. And now all of that, all of that knowledge, all of the things that happened to her in those series were brought into live action, were brought into what I consider the modern era of Star Wars. Yes, the timeline's different because obviously this is before the sequels. But she was there. And from that moment when I saw Ahsoka Tano, I was like, you know what? We're about to get a lot more. And we did with this series. And what I loved about it was from the very first episode when we got the scroll and all you guys know, all you Star Wars fans know, that scroll happens in movies. It's the first time that we got the scroll in red, mind you, on a TV show. From that very moment, it felt big. From that first episode, it felt big. Everything that happened in that first episode felt big. And I love the way that we saw Ahsoka 
mature, hardened, aged, tired, focused. We saw her seasoned in a different phase of, of, of Ahsoka. Matter of fact, Ahsoka reminded me so much of Anakin. Not just from her fighting style, because even though Anakin trained her and we see those specific Anakin moves, the way that she views things, the way that she handles things, the way that she even talks about her master, it just reminds me of Anakin. And now that she's older and she's seen what the Jedi Order was or could have been or what it did to her and what happened after that and everything that happened in Rebels, she's just a different person. She's on a different mission. She's got a different objective. She is not a Jedi and people need to understand that. Just because she was a Jedi, just because she's trained in the Jedi ways, she is not a Jedi. Now, others in the show may consider her a Jedi or call her that, but Ahsoka never, ever calls herself a Jedi since Clone Wars. She always refers to that as the past, which I thought was really cool and really interesting and important, and that Dave Filoni made that part of the show because that who that is who Ahsoka is. And if you sit there and you watch her, and if you're like me and you've seen her grow up and you've watched her on that show on Clone Wars, you see why Anakin was the perfect master for her. And she was the perfect Padawan for him. Now, albeit we all know what happened after that, but you, all, you have to wonder if Ahsoka was still around, if Ahsoka was there, would Anakin have turned? Would she have been able to convince him to not go and try to get involved with Palpatine? Would she have gone with him and maybe they could have stopped Palpatine? You know, there's a lot of ifs. But the Anakin-Ahsoka bond was strong and we saw that in Rebels when they confronted each other when he was now Vader and she realized that, his mask, that her master, Anakin Skywalker, was gone. But what I thought was great about the show is they, uh, they didn't waste time. Now, there's only eight episodes, so that's a big complaint of mine. I think that's something that Disney needs to get. I've talked about it with Marvel. I've talked about it with other shows. Disney needs to get away from this six to eight episode nonsense. It, out of all the series that they have done, Marvel, Disney, whatever, there's only one series that they gave us a significant amount. What was it, like 14 episodes, maybe 12? And that was She-Hawk. That's the series that they chose to sink more episodes in. We needed more of Moon Knight, Hawkeye, uh, Winter Soldier, Falcon and Winter Soldier, quite frankly. Although that one, that one wasn't too bad. Uh, I said Moon Knight already. Miss Marvel. And definitely Ahsoka, Mandalorian. We need more episodes. Obi-Wan. And that's not to say that these episodes don't feel packed and good, but you are developing a serious story. And, and, and going into Ahsoka, we never got confirmation that it was a multi-season show. We got confirmation on the one season. And then Dave Filoni talked about his movie that he's doing. So we don't even know if Ahsoka's coming back for a series or we're going to dive right in to another series. 
We know the Mandalorian season four is potentially in the works. We don't know where that's going to play. We don't know when that's coming. And we know that Mandalorian right now, if that series ended, it could end and we could see Mando in a movie, but we don't have to get another Mandalorian series the way it ended. Yes, there's still a lot to talk about with Groku and things like that, but quite frankly, stories could just end right now and it could pick up in other shows. So I think when you give Ahsoka eight episodes, I'm like, really? And don't get me wrong, there was no filler. I read somewhere online that somebody thought one of the episodes was filler, but there isn't. There's so much there. I mean, episode one, they introduce us to what I think, two of the most charismatic and interesting characters ever, quite frankly. <clears throat> I mean, they introduced us, and, and this is... I'm going to bounce all over the place. I'm going to really try not to here, okay? Because there's a lot to digest with Ahsoka. But I think that we had some of the coolest, quote-unquote, we don't want to say Jedi because they weren't. But we had Balin, which is amazing, by the way. I mean... Ray Stevenson, just good Lord, everything that he does is phenomenal. And I need to take a, I'll come back to this, but just keep that in the back of your mind. But we had Balin Skull and Shin Hati. Now, they were by far two of my favorite characters in the entire series, which says a lot because there's a lot of great characters to like there. To me, they stole the show. Every time they were on screen. Balin was the perfect example of a fallen Jedi where he was not quite Sith, not quite Jedi, but he wasn't gray Jedi either. He was a man that clearly had both powers, dark side, light side. He clearly did not believe in the Jedi Order. He talked about it. But even before we saw that, we learned that he was just not another Sith assassin. He was something more. He talked about something bigger. Why he was doing what he did. And his apprentice, Shin, we don't know anything about her. Other than she looks good. We don't know anything. And she's got crazy eyes, which is fine. And she's awesome. We don't know, you know, did he start to train her later in life? Was she a youngling that survived? She seems to not be because she doesn't remember a lot of the old stories. And we find that out. So her, where she was when Anakin decided to, you know, 86, I should say uh, 66, all the younglings and kill the Jedi... We don't know. Was she born yet? Was she little? I, I have a feeling she was very little. I have a feeling she was not a youngling. So where did she come from? We don't know. That's a big mystery. But we know that they were together for a while. We know that he has been training her for a while. Potentially, I think he picked her up on the way. Maybe he knew that she was force sensitive. Maybe when he was hiding out, he found her. I don't know. 
But there's something interesting. This is where we're going to start to get in when I talk about this stuff. I want to I want to really deep dive into these characters, and I want to talk about some of their cool little Easter eggs that really a lot of people might not know about. But before I continue, I think one of the biggest tragedies and also poses one of the biggest problems for Filoni and the future of Star Wars is that Ray Stevenson's passing. Obviously, prior to Star Wars, I pretty much liked him and everything he's done. I haven't exactly liked every single movie he's been in, but I liked him. And he really is a good actor. He immerses himself in this role. And Ray Stevenson will never know the love that we the fans have for him and what he's done already in that short period of time in the Star Wars universe. He'll never understand it. He'll never hear about it. He'll never feel that appreciation. <clears throat> and I think, based on how Filoni wrote him, not only did he write this character perfectly, but you couldn't have casted this character any better. But what's interesting is, when you look, when you look at their names, Balin Skull and Shen Hati, Skull and Hati are the names of the giant wolves in old Norse folklore that actually chase the sun and the moon. So, Skull chases the sun and Hati chases the moon, which is kind of an example of the light and dark side. The fact that they are together so much shows almost a balance of the light and dark side, or at least them trying to balance each other. We've seen Balin talk to Shin and try to calm her down, try to balance that anger, try to harness that power, which makes sense. She's younger. She's vicious. She hasn't seen everything. Balin has an idea of what both sides are like. I'm not saying he controls one better than the other, but if you watch him when he fights Ahsoka, when he fights anybody, he did control it very, very good. So I thought it was interesting that they picked those names, and that's definitely not coincidence that they looked at Norse, uh, Norse mythology and, and did that. So I'm very excited to see what happens with Shin. Now, one of the other things, let's talk about the witches, guys. The witches of Dathomir. Now, if you remember, and maybe you don't, for some of you that don't understand, let's go back in time a little bit. Dathomir is a planet where the sisters, the Night Sisters, lived. The Night Sisters are witches, and they they don't exactly know the dark side. It's something much more ancient and evil. But the dark side, the Empire, Sith. They've used these witches. They've learned from these witches. And matter of fact, we even see it a little bit in Clone Wars. Grievous goes there to actually defeat them. Um, and I'm not going to get into that. But one of the biggest things about Dathomir is that is home to Darth Maul and Darth Maul's species. Matter of fact, they are those species. They are plucked from the tribe and raised to be assassins and tools for the Empire. Not just the Empire, but for the most part. We see that. We know that. And the Night Sisters have a relationship with them. They've given them powers. They find the strongest. They're, they live separately. 
but they have very much respect for each other and they view Darth, the, the Darth Maul, and I forget their what their breed is, their species is, but they look at these, these the Night Sisters as their protectors and almost they worship them as goddesses. So the fact that we have the three witches that are using the same magic that we saw in Clone Wars when they brought Savage, Savage is Darth Maul's brother, they gave him the extra strength to go find Darth Maul because they could sense that he was alive. You remember Savage Opress was this giant beast. It was like a bigger version of Maul. Just brute strength. Now, it doesn't mean that he was as strong as Darth Maul and he definitely didn't know the force like Maul did, but he was a monster. And the Night Sisters are the ones that gave him the powers. They also gave a lot of intel and information to the Empire. And if you watched Rebels, this is why it's so important. If you watched Rebels, we even see Count Dooku go there multiple times. Now, it was Count Dooku who ordered... Grievous to go in and destroy the Night Sisters. And we see the Night Sisters use magic to bring back the dead and the soldiers and all that stuff. So the fact that here we are and we see these three witches brought to life, brought to life on screen for the first time is amazing. Now, many people might not recognize the Dathomir witches if they have not watched Rebels. But what's awesome about it is when they are giving Morgan Elsbeth the powers in the final episode, they are reciting the exact same lines that Mother Talzin, and Mother Talzin was the main most powerful night sister from Clone Wars. They were reciting those lines that Mother Talisman did to Asajj Ventress to give her the similar abilities. And when they hand Elsbeth the blade, they call it the Blade of Talzin, which makes Mother Talzin, again, of course, canon and live action, but it just goes to show you the history and it goes to show you how much Dave Filoni believes in the lore and believes in the history of these characters. Because I got to tell you right now, I have to tell you right now, bringing the Night Sisters and Dathomir back into the mix is huge. Now, we don't know exactly how these witches got stranded on this planet. We know that this planet, this is where Ezra was sent to, this is where Thrawn is. We know that this planet was home to them, there was a temple there. We don't know the full story behind it, but we do know that they've been there for a long time. It makes sense that Thrawn not only realizes this and realizes the temple, he said he discovered it, but that he's drawn and that these sisters respect him and he respects them. Because some people were like, so Thrawn just found these three crazy, you know, witches and now they're buddies? No. 
There's a rich history of the empire using these night sisters, using witches, using the black magic, using all this stuff. I mean, even Palpatine talks about finding the darkest powers, anything he could. I mean, think about it. Palpatine wanted the utmost power in the universe to sit here and take over, which is why he was buying all kinds of artifacts, why he was finding force-sensitive creatures, beings, anything he could do. So it makes sense that the Empire worked with these sisters. So obviously, Thrawn is, not, is no stranger to the planet, Dathomir, or the sisters. But the fact that now we have a live-action Dathomir says a lot. Now that we're talking about Thrawn, can we all agree... Number one, live-action Thrawn was phenomenal. Getting the same guy that voiced him to play him was perfect. Now, there was others that I think could have done a better job, that could have done a good job. I don't want to say better, but this was great. Having Thrawn debut, they did such a good job of making Thrawn seem big, scary, tough, and what I mean by that is bigger than just like, because you got to remember, we are dealing with somebody who's not a Sith. He's not Force sensitive. I mean, we know that everybody in this galaxy is in touch with the Force. It's just a matter of if they know how to use it, if they've been trained or not. But he's not that guy. He doesn't have a lightsaber. But he has killed Jedi. He has fought alongside Vader. He's fought alongside Anakin Skywalker. He knows the Emperor. He knows the history. He realizes that what needs to happen. And he has he is a calculating chess player who is trained to fight, trained to shoot, and is the ultimate Admiral War General ever. He is the guy that could take the, the Empire into the next decade. They started planting the seed for Thrawn in Mandalorian Season 2. They continued that seed in the, in the last season of Mandalorian. In that short time, it felt like something was coming. In this Ahsoka series, they didn't give us Thrawn right away. It was the last three episodes we saw Thrawn. But we felt his presence. And it showed and it rippled. It rippled through the Republic. It rippled through our cast of characters. They were terrified and knew that if Thrawn came back and was alive, they were in, bad, they were in a bad spot. They did a better job writing Thrawn, quite frankly, than Marvel has written Kang. 100%. Because Filoni realizes how important it is. If you're going to have a big bad, that's not Vader. That's not the, oh no, Palpatine returned. That's not somebody like that. You better, it's got to be Thrawn. And with, and with Filoni being such a fan of Heir to the Empire, where Thrawn comes in. That's what we're getting here, folks. We are getting, they are going to get us, not only are they combining everything we saw from Rebels and adding that to the live action, 
they are on their way to a version of Hair to the Empire. And I personally believe that's the movie that they're going to go for. That's what Filoni is going to go for, which is going to be a monster. Now, we look at Thrawn. He's been there the whole time. Years. The fall of the Empire. He could not be there to, to protect. He was there. He could not be there to try to revive the Empire. He was lost. Clearly, he wasn't alone. He had his soldiers with him. He's got the witches. And it was Ezra who was hiding. It was Ezra, Ezra Bridger, Bridger, sorry, who was hiding and running from Thrawn. Now, I will say this. I was not a big fan of Ezra in the cartoon. A matter of fact, I was annoyed by him. And he should be. It was very much how I felt about Ahsoka in the beginning. When I watched Clone Wars, I was very annoyed by Ahsoka. I was like, great. Anakin was a whiny little kid. Now he's got a whiny little kid to look after. This is annoying. As time went on, I realized how much I liked Ahsoka. Now, when I talk about some of my favorite Star Wars characters, she's she's on the she's top 10. Could be top 5, but I'd have to think about that, but definitely top 10. Now, Ezra never made that list for me. But I thought they did an absolute banger of a job with Ezra in the Ahsoka series. Number 1, the actor that played Ezra, perfect. He did his homework. He did his research. You could tell. He reminded me of a grown-up Ezra. The only difference is I enjoyed him in the live action. I love how he kind of really got one with the Force more so than ever because he didn't have his lightsaber. So he's not out there just wielding a lightsaber around. Not to say he couldn't because we saw him do that when him and Sabine were there, and I'll get to Sabine in a minute. But we actually got to see him Almost reminded me a little bit of Obi-Wan, an older Obi-Wan. He's kind of at peace in this really treacherous land. And he was really becoming one with nature and the force. And, and I thought that was really cool. I liked the way he talked. He still had some of those Ezra jokes. So it could be kind of annoying, but he was older. Excellent casting, again. And excellent writing. Dave Filoni, you got me to like Ezra. That's amazing. Just amazing. One of the other things, too, as we look at this, we are pulling characters, and they talked about other characters in Rebels, Sabine being one of them. Sabine, let's not forget, is a Mandalorian. Now, she does not sit here and wear her helmet all the time, which caused an issue back in Rebels. She is a Mandalorian. She did start to get some training, or at least potentially training by Ezra, and we knew that Ahsoka was going to train Sabine because Sabine allegedly there was hints that she was force sensitive. We see that now. Years later, Sabine has kind of abandoned her training, kind of abandoned the whole Mandalorian thing anyway. She's kind of a rebel, which is appropriate because that's what Sabine is. That's what they all were. 
and she reunites with Ahsoka and Ahsoka begins to train her again. I like Sabine. Now I will say, I thought that the animated version of Sabine had a lot more layers to what we saw in live action, but I thought they got the right person to look the part and for the most part, act the live action version of Sabine, for the most part. She wasn't my favorite in Ahsoka, other than looking at her, but I thought she did a good job. Matter of fact, I thought I would really like her more than I liked Ezra, and that just wasn't the case. But nonetheless, I think that there's a lot of potential there. I think there's potential for her to go to Mandalore and be with, the, well, not Mandalore, but be with the Mandalorians. I think there's a lot of potential there, and we'll see what happens. Now, when we end this, and I just kind of want to wrap up this ending because I'm going to get to some bullet points that I think a lot of you, some of you definitely missed, but there are things that are building up here. And if you listen to some of the dialogue, you can see it. Example, Thrawn. When Thrawn finds out who Ahsoka is, and he knows Ahsoka, but he wants to find out everything about her. That's what Thrawn is. He's like, I want every single piece of information you have. And he realizes that Anakin Skywalker trained her. Number one, he knows who Anakin is. Number two, he knows what Anakin becomes. Now, Thrawn never shares that with anybody, but he knows. If you guys aren't sure how he knows, you guys can reach out to me. I'll explain it. I'm not going to explain it right here. Maybe on another Star Wars episode, we'll dive into that, but no. He says things like, she's not going to do things the easy way. She's not going to give up that easily. Knowing her master, she's not going to do this. He under, so that really, knowing that she is trained by Anakin, that gives him a one-up on Ahsoka, which causes him to leave Ahsoka behind and he escapes and Ahsoka and Sabine are trapped on that planet. They essentially traded places. Thrawn has a plan. And what was interesting was he was very, very aware of the roles of these characters like Balin and Shin. He used them but didn't need them. It's a cost of doing battle. Because you got to remember, Thrawn has had encounters with Jedi all, all the time. Jedi, Sith, everything. So he knows how to deal with that. He left them all. He left them all. Which got me thinking, why Balin went on his way essentially told Shin, I'm on a different path. I have a calling. This is what I'm doing. Shin wasn't really picking up on what Balin was laying down. After she fought Sabine and Ezra and Ahsoka and essentially lost and took off, Ahsoka tried to reach out to her to say, look, I've been like you. Come here. I'll help you. And she was like, nah, I'm out. But she couldn't go anywhere because Thrawn left. Thrawn didn't have a use for her anymore. So if Thrawn didn't have a use for her anymore, what's she going to do? Well, what we find out is 
we actually see Shin at the end. And don't forget, Morgan Elsbeth is dead. She fights Ahsoka in an episode of The Mandalorian and loses, but Ahsoka doesn't kill her. She fights Ahsoka at the end of this. She dies. That's, mind you, after one of the coolest scenes and we finally get zombie stormtroopers. Thank you, Dave Filoni. We've all been asking for it. And although it's a little bit different than the story of what happened with the zombie virus in the Star Wars, we get zombie stormtroopers. You are taking two of my... And by the way, you couldn't have done it any better. You gave us zombie stormtroopers that were brought to life by witches in the last episode, which happens to take place a couple weeks before Halloween. Star Wars, Halloween, zombie stormtroopers. Thank you. That's all I needed in my life. I feel like the circle is now complete. And I'm good. I can just take this headphones off and call it a day. But she dies. Thrawn didn't care. Doesn't care. Because he doesn't need her. He knows what to do. He knows what his mission is. And that's what makes Thrawn so scary. Is that not not that he's willing to sacrifice the people around him. Is that he doesn't view it as, oh, I just do whatever I want. He views it as pieces of a larger puzzle, a larger chessboard. If you are right here to the right of me, you will stay there until I need to move you up here to protect the bigger goal. That's what a general does. And Thrawn has been doing that since day one. And to me, that's, that's one of many unique attributes that Thrawn brings to the table, you know? we've seen the weaknesses of the Sith. And it's not to say that Thrawn doesn't have any, but we've seen the weaknesses of some of the top formidable foes in the Star Wars universe. Thrawn, really, if you look back at his history, and if you're familiar with Rebels, and you're familiar with the character, and you're familiar with what else we know of him, he doesn't really have any. I mean, he survived Vader. And I say that because Vader almost killed him. when Thrawn basically confronted him about being Anakin. He managed to survive him because Vader respected him. There wasn't a whole lot of people that Vader respects. As a matter of fact, if you look at Anakin's history, there's not a whole lot of people that Anakin respected, even as a little kid. So it only makes sense that the people that he does respect, for the most part, unless obviously they did something completely insane, he allowed them a little bit of leeway. Very, very little. Let's, let's clarify that. Let's definitely clarify that. So going back to the end of Ahsoka, and there's a lot I could talk about, but we see Ezra escaped, makes it, back to the rebels. However, Thrawn also escaped, but he went to a place that I just didn't think he would go, and that was Dathomir. 
he goes with the witches and all their cargo, which looks like, because he completely raided the runes and the castle and, and everything from the planet before he left. And it looks like coffins almost. What those coffins are, we, we don't truly know. We can assume if they are coffins. But what we see is him going to Dathomir to launch his plan to take over the world, to take over the galaxy and bring the Empire back to a glory day. Now, what that means for the Empire, who knows? What that means for the galaxy, we don't know. No, I don't think that he's going to sit here and, and go after and, and try to bring back Darth Maul. That's not what I'm saying. That, that story's done. As a matter of fact, I don't think we'll see those at all. Um, I do think, however, that he is definitely going to launch his world, his, his invasion there. And I don't think that anybody, I mean, Ezra being back can sit there and say, yeah, there's night witches and there's the mothers of Dathomir. You can talk about that all day. But there hasn't been anything going on in Dathomir since. So I don't think that anybody's going to assume that Thrawn's going to go there. Or if even Ezra doesn't even know, I mean, he can assume that Thrawn left. I mean, he knows Thrawn left because he was on the ship. But he doesn't know where he went after that because he got off the ship. So there's a lot of interesting factors on why he chose that. But I think if, if he's going to be at Dathomir, we are going to see some nasty stuff happen. I mean, we are going to see some nasty stuff happen. And it is a classic Ezra move to just kind of escape the way he escaped. One of the other things, though, that really got me was, and I did not see this coming. We might have, you know, think about it, but we see Balin at the end. We see Shin right off on the horses. She sees some of the locals. Now, there's these local, like, almost like, red looking troopers they remind me a little bit of like i don't know they they're not they're not stormtroopers but they're villagers or whatever on this planet they maybe maybe they are maybe they were there originally maybe they were there to protect the night sisters i don't know but she runs up upon them and mind you they were there helping thrawn so there is that connection i, I just don't think that you know they were with thrawn i think thrawn just gained their respect or Maybe the Night Sisters used them. We don't really know much about them, but we've seen them several times in this series. She rides up upon them and they look at her and she just holds her lightsaber up like, I'm here. So maybe she's going to lead them. I, we don't know. It was a very interesting cutscene with her. She's alive. She's separated from Ahsoka and all them. She's separated from Thrawn. She's left on this planet. Balin's nowhere to be found. He's going on his path. He clearly was using this as a way to get here. And this is when we start to wonder why. Why is he here? What does he know about? And this is what I love about Filoni because he goes back into this deep-rooted lore of Star Wars and says, you know what? 
this isn't just a cameo. This isn't just to get a little, oh man, that was that was a shout out to Phantom Menace or oh, look at that. Do you remember that? No, there's a purpose for it. And it's a detailed purpose. And the planet of, I, I always say this wrong, Perida or P, Peride, P-E-R-I-D-E-A. That's worth throwing in the more. It could be a stronger planet connected to the force than we think. And I think Ahsoka and Sabine don't even know that. Mind you, there's some other things I'm going to talk about before we get there. But if you remember the Mortis Gods. Now, the Mortis Gods, they embody the light side, the dark side, and the balance of the force. The daughter being the light side represented by an owl. The father being the balance and the dark side very much looking like a Sith. Now we know that Ahsoka has a massive, huge, strong connection to the daughter. Huge. Because in Clone Wars, when Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka stumble upon this planet. Now, they don't name the planet, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure they don't. They run into the Mortis Gods. And on this planet, they are seen visions, they are tested, and the dark side, the sun, is doing everything in his power to not only sway Anakin, because he senses how strong Anakin is in the Force. He senses the turmoil. He senses the struggle. But he wants to use Anakin to embody the dark side and also get off this planet. Ahsoka dies on this planet and is brought to life, brought back from the dead by the daughter. And that connection... That connection of the daughter has always been there. Since that moment that she was brought back to life, she has changed physically, emotionally, spiritually. In the Jedi ways, her thought process has changed. This is canon. This isn't something that happened in the comic books. This isn't something that happened in video game. This is canon. Well, at the end of this, we actually see Balin standing on a massive statue of the father. It almost looks like this Lord of the Rings thing. It's this giant statue, and he's standing there, and the father's pointing in one direction. And if you look to the left of the father, I guess it would be his right. If you look to his right, you see another statue, a face of the sun. I'm not talking the sun, S-U-N. I'm talking S-O-N, the dark side. If you look to the left, there's a smashed statue of where the daughter would be. Which is interesting because Balin clearly knows about this or knows that this planet has more power than he could ever realize. That this planet is where he needs to be. Now, we don't know if somebody's calling to him. We don't know if it's the Force. We don't know 
if it's something else. And I'm going to get to something else in a minute. There's a lot of theories about this, and I don't know if I buy this one, but we'll, we'll go there. So Balin's there. But what else is interesting is Ahsoka, as she's staring off into the, the clouds, an owl flies by and lands. And it's the same colored owl of the daughter, the Mortis gods. It's the exact same one. Looks at Ahsoka, Ahsoka looks at it and leaves. Flies away. We know the daughter allegedly is dead. That's that was the that was the trade-off for Ahsoka coming back to life. But these beings are so powerful and so connected, they're essentially the gods of the force. Anakin might have taken a piece with him. The father supposed to be dead, by the way. I remember this correctly, but he's not. That's why the daughter died. Anyway, I don't want to give that away if you guys haven't seen it, but Anakin battles not only his demons, but he sees a vision of what he's to become on this planet. He battles the sun. It's crazy. So the last time we saw the Mortis gods... I mean, yeah, it was a world between worlds in Star Wars Rebels and when they were on this planet. So the question is, if this is their planet or if this is a powerful planet with the Force, that if this, you know, because you have creatures that are super in tune to the Force, that are connected to the Force, if this is one of those planets, it would explain a lot. It would explain why almost the Night Sisters were there or those witches were there would also explain that maybe the sun, because the sun has very similarities to these witches, he could be the one giving them power. But what is Balin doing? How does Balin fit into this? Not only that, it's clear that he's meant to be a bigger part of a story. What are you going to do? You can't just forget about him. Are you going to recast him? Because you got two options. You either write him off and you completely have this loophole of an ending that doesn't make sense and goes nowhere, which doesn't seem like a felony thing to do. Or you recast him, which sucks because it suffers the same fate of when you recast a major character that we like. It's just, it's just a really horrible spot to be in. So I'm not sure what they're going to do with that. There's a lot of people starting to go that maybe Filoni, because he's a fan of legends, he's a fan of like the expanded universe, that maybe we're going to see Abilith. Now, Abilith was known as the bringer of chaos, and, and she is the main antagonist in the Star Wars Expanded Universe Legends series, Fate of the Jedi. She was part of the Ones, a family of powerful force wielders. Basically, she was a Mortis God. She was the mother. You had the father, the mother, the son, the daughter. But she was so powerful. And what was interesting about it was that she was mortal, unlike the rest of her family. So... In order to try to stay and hang on to life, she drank 
from like the forbidden waters. And when she drank from those waters, it gave her this massive amount of power and this rage. I mean, it was uncontrollable. It was called the, the fountain of power or the font of power. She bathed in the pool of knowledge and it corrupted her, transforming her into this like horrible immortal entity known as Abelith. Abelith or Abelith. And it, and she was so powerful and all-consuming that the three of them, the father, the son, and the daughter, had to confine her, trap her. They'd use all the powers to trap her. Now, she comes back later. There's actually some Sith that actually try to control her and release her and harness her powers. Even Palpatine was trying to figure out a way to release her and, and maybe use her. But this was all expanded universe. So for those of you don't, that don't know, I'll say layman's terms. And this is, I'm going to get some Star Wars nerd who's going to be mad at me. For all intents and purposes, this might as well be fan fiction. It's not canon. It doesn't matter. It's not considered canon. Yes, we can retcon things. But as of now, none of that is canon. Now, it doesn't mean that Filoni isn't bringing that into canon. The Mortis gods are there. At one point, Jedi and Sith actually had to fight to stop her when she released again. And then those Sith tried to tame her, of course, and they died. But maybe it's not any of those beings from the Mortis gods that are calling to Balin. Maybe it's Abelith. Now, the question is, why would, they why would they put this big bad when they've got Thrawn? But if you think about it, we're using a lot of dark magic. We're using a lot of old ancient magic beyond the Force, older than the Force, maybe. Darker than the dark side. It's possible it's all connected. It's possible that Abbeth is behind the, the witches. Maybe the witches are working for her, trying to release her, and they are using Thrawn. There's a lot of things that could happen. But I think one of the biggest things that we know for a fact is that the Mortis gods are now here. I'm not saying we're going to see them, but we got to figure out what do they want with Balin or what does Balin want with them? How does it come into play and where does it go from here? One of the other things you need to think about too is, let's go back to the sequels. At the end, when Palpatine's returned, and Ray is fighting him, trying to hold off, you know, his electricity. Horrible garbage ending. Um, it's like a B movie. She's hearing the voices of all the Jedi. He's like, I am all the Sith. And she's like, I am all the Jedi. And she's hearing the voices of the fallen Jedi. Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, Yoda. Luke, Anakin, I mean, even canon, like even older Jedi, like people, we hear Ahsoka's voice. We don't hear Ezra's, but we hear Ahsoka's. The one thing they have in common, all those voices, are that all those Jedi are dead. So from some time, it's reason to believe, and I've said this in multiple episodes, multiple TikToks, multiple everything, 
it is reason to believe that Ahsoka dies from sometime between now in the Ahsoka series to the end of Rise of Skywalker. The question is how? Is it Thrawn? Is it Abelith? Does she sacrifice herself much like the daughter did to become and you know one with the light and take place of the daughter? Is that possible? Is this is or is it just a freak accident? A freak, you know, somebody, you know, kills her. I don't know. But we know and I we know Ahsoka is dead. I mean, 98% sure that somewhere between now and when Dave Filoni gets his movie, Ahsoka's dying. It's just a matter of when and how. And that's crazy to think about. It's also crazy to think about that Ezra doesn't die, as far as we know. We don't hear his voice. So where is Ezra in all this mess? Why, ha why didn't he come to help Rey? Why didn't he go to Luke's school? Maybe he did go to Luke's school. There's a lot of, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And I think we're going to get some of those answers. Dave Filoni's not going to leave a lot of that open for interpretation. But that brings up a lot of things. Are we going to find out? If there is an Ahsoka season two, and we don't know, I, you know, I don't know exactly when Filoni is going to start working on this movie. If another Star Wars series, because right now, forget the strikes and all that, we don't really have an idea of when the next Star Wars series is. I mean, yeah, we got Bad Batch, and I know we're going to get, um, I think, Tales of the Jedi season two, but we don't have an idea of when the next Mandalorian is. We know the Acolyte's coming out, and we also know that Skeleton Crew is coming out. But, I mean, as far as if those are going to be connected, Acolyte is not connected to the modern-day Star Wars. This is Now, Acolyte's going to take place in, like, Old Republic era, and it's really following the Sith. And it's supposed to be one of the darkest Star Wars series ever. Well, yeah, Sith are infiltrating, and we're going to find out about a Sith apprentice and I'm excited about that because that's going to be like the heyday of the Sith and that's going to be great Skeleton Crew takes place after I believe the fall of the Empire so sometime around that Mandalorian so we could see some ties with Skeleton Crew we could see some characters pop up from Ahsoka to Skeleton Crew I don't know we know Jude Law's in it, and we know essentially it follows a group of teenagers get lost in the galaxy during this whole empire, rebel, battle, all that crap. That's about all we know. They said it's like strangers, Stranger Things meets Star Wars, whatever that means. But as far as like the next Mandalorian... We don't know. When Dave's movie's exactly coming out, we don't know. We don't know if we're getting Ahsoka 2. If we get Ahsoka 2, and I almost feel like we have to get Ahsoka 2 before the movie, but then again, I'm also kind of like, we don't really. I think if we get that, we are going to have to answer a couple questions. Number one, well, besides the behind-the-scenes stuff is, what do we do with Balin? 
they're going to have to answer the question is what what is Balin doing there what's his connection to the mortis gods how does he know about it excuse me i just drank a bunch of water and i swear i almost like hiccuped it all over the microphone um number two what is thrawn doing on dathomir we at least got to know part of his plan number three is Luke Skywalker going to appear at all and talk to Ezra? Are those two going to cross paths? That's just my own personal thing. We don't need to know that. I'm just curious. But I think the biggest questions are, what's going on on the planet? What's up with the Mortis gods? And what is Thrawn doing on Dathomir? And I'm going to dive into the Force a little bit more. But Filoni gave us some beautiful pieces. I mean, in this show... He gave us live action Clone Wars. And we had flashback scenes. We had Rex. We had a young Ahsoka fighting alongside Anakin Skywalker. And thank you once again for bringing Hayden back to us and giving us Clone Wars Hayden and giving us a Force ghost as he appeared and watched Ahsoka while she was on the planet. And he, and he said, You're, you are where you need to be. Which ties in, quite frankly, to the Mortis Guides even more. We got to see flashbacks of Ahsoka training with Anakin. Then we got to see the hologram of Anakin's training as he gave it to Ahsoka. It was awesome. Just beautiful cinematography and just, just not just a matter of doing it for cameos, but doing it because it furthered the story. Yeah, it's great to sit there and give fan service, but if you give fan service and it's just that, it kind of gets old. But if you give us fan service and it makes perfectly good sense, what are we doing here? To me, Ahsoka is peak Star Wars content. 10 out of 10. I'll even, you know what? Because nothing's perfect, I'll say 9.5 out of 10. Because there was a couple things I was like, eh. Chopper was great. I mean, just most brutal droid out there. That dude's got a kill count like longer than... He's up there with Anakin on kill counts, man. Maybe more, to be honest with you. I don't know. Anakin did slice up a bunch of young elings. Thrawn, phenomenal. I just think that we are going to see... And, and, and this is what's great about Filoni and great about Star Wars. You are taking characters that we know. You are taking the story and still kind of weaving it through the Skywalker saga without a Skywalker really being the main focus. Because quite frankly, I don't want any more Skywalker stuff at all. I love Anakin. I love I love Vader. I love what I love everything about that. I, I understand that. But it's over. But Filoni is not ignoring that. He's building off that and showing us what else is going on and getting us connected to these other characters. And he's taking it to the next level with likes of Mandalorian and all that. Now, at some point, those timelines of the sequels and what's happening now are going to meet. It, does, we, it doesn't mean we have to acknowledge the rise of the First Order. We don't have to acknowledge that. We already know what happens, but maybe we see the groundwork. And at some point, you're going to have to go, okay, 
Do I dabble with the first order? Do I stop and go in a different direction? Do I go to another side of the galaxy? Because sooner or later, you're gonna have to go back even further to the old Republic, like we're gonna get in the Acolyte, and give us that big Jedi-Sith war, and give us some of these characters. Don't worry about giving me Cal Castus. I, I gotta be honest with you, all you guys that talk about Cal Castus, Cal, I don't even care about Cal Castus. Oh, what about Starkiller? That's the worst name ever. I understand why they used it, but it's horrible. I don't care about Starkiller. Video game, stop it. I don't want to see it. You know, Calcastus could get worked in, but I, whatever. We have so many other characters we can do. We have so many other stories to tell. I don't think you can ever stop telling these stories, but we also can't make everything canon. And Dave Filoni knows that. He's still giving the fans what they want, but it's making sense. Zombie Stormtroopers, we've all wanted it. We knew about it. We read about it. It's one of the darkest, creepiest things in the Star Wars lore galaxy. He gave it to us in a really unique way. We wanted to see some live-action Rebels. He gave it to us. We wanted to take some of those moments from Rebels and bring them to live actions like the Night Sisters and Thrawn. He gave it to us. Not only that, he gave us the Mortis Gods. Who would have ever thought that we'd be talking about this? It was an amazing moment in Clone Wars, and here we are talking about it. So now I'm just like, Filoni, you do what you got to do. I'm not going to argue with you. You know what you're doing. So what do you guys think? Did you guys watch Ahsoka? If you did, how do you rank that amongst the series? Mandalorian? Obi-Wan, Book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka, Andor. How do you rank that? Because mind you, I think Andor was peak, peak Star Wars 2 on a different level. I mean, you dealt with a, an amazing story. We know the ending. We're getting one more season of Andor, and that's it. We know the ending, but you got me interested anyway. You got amazing acting. You got a great story, and you had zero Jedi, zero Sith, zero lightsabers. And I still watched every second of it. I was Star Wars for adults. As funny as that sounds. But then again, so were parts of Obi-Wan. And quite frankly, so were parts of Star Quite frankly, so was Clone Wars. <laughs> it wasn't exactly a kid's show. But let me know where you guys rank Ahsoka. Let me know what your thoughts are. Tell me if I missed something. I know I did. I have my notes here. And there's like 10 things on here I didn't talk about. And we'll talk about it. If you want to dive into some other stuff, email me at the life of an average show podcast at gmail.com. You can go to life of an average show podcast.com. Send me your questions. I'll answer them. Remember, I got my email show coming up at the end of this season, but you can go ahead and message me anywhere. TikTok, message me, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. We'll talk more Star Wars. I probably will do another episode. I know Nick Luck and I, um, from the AOK podcast, one of my good buddies. Uh, we are going to be doing a TikTok live soon, diving into some more Ahsoka stuff. Uh, it'll be interesting to hear his his thoughts and his reactions. Uh, I'll post about that. Uh, I will get Jacob on. Uh, he's a big Star Wars fan. And he came in at a different time in Star Wars. So it'll be very interesting to hear what he has to say. So we got more Star Wars content coming, but that's after spooky season. So tune in next week as we go back to creepy episodes. And thank you for listening this Friday night if you are. 
to the bonus episode.